All right, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to conclude our series here on Simeon. And, uh, and the idea this morning is how to welcome the advent of the Lord. We've been talking about... Uh, the purpose of Advent, celebrating Advent on purpose. And I, I've continued because this has kind of uh, been interrupted and ongoing. Uh, let you see on the chart that's there at the top of your notes uh, the idea of how to celebrate Advent. And I didn't pull the candles back out because we're moving on. I get that. But the fifth candle is something that we often don't celebrate because we're coming right up into Christmas. And yet that's the, the important candle. It's called the Christ candle. Or as I like to explain, it's the purpose candle. The whole purpose of Christmas is the presence of Christ. And we've been talking that Simeon's greeting in Luke chapter 2. So if you look at verses uh, Luke chapter 2 and begin at verses 25 through 39 is where we are looking in our Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 25 through 39. Simeon's greeting prepares us to greet Christ when he comes again. And I've given you the verses. And so I wanted to see the, the layout of Simeon's story to show you that I'm not just coming up with these ideas for Advent. They're rooted in all over in the Bible. You can go through the whole Christmas story and see these ideas of waiting, watching, witnessing, and worshiping. But when I studied Simeon and I saw, oh my goodness, in his story, you go through the same five processes. So this is a biblical pattern that I'm trying to show you, and we've taught on it uh, uh, many an Advent in our class, but I hadn't ever really, really grasped how much Anna uh, adds to this story, because you see that Anna welcomes the arrival of the Christ child because public praise is always the proper response to the presence of Christ. And there's so much here we're going to learn about Anna. And so every day I'd be coming home to Gwen. Oh man, this is, I, I learned so much about Anna today. Really? What? What? Did you talk to Pat, Terry? No, Gwen. No, the Anna in the Bible. The Anna in the Bible. Okay. And so I've been talking all week. Okay. So let's look at it. Anna's story is here in Luke chapter two, thirty-six through thirty-nine. So uh, follow along as I read from the New American Standard. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So that's all background. Then it comes 38. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, one interesting fact that I want you to point out there in the New American Standard, they translate verse 37 that they interpret that, that verse as saying Anna was 84 years old at this age. Uh, there's 
grammatically in the original languages it can be interpreted one of two ways and translators have to make a decision and they went with that. Another way of understanding it and the way that, that I take it is that she was married for seven years and then for 84 years after that lived as a widow. So when you put that all together, most women in that day would get married in that culture at a very young age, let's say 14, 15, and then married for seven years. She'd be 21 and then add 84 onto that. I think Anna was 105 years old. Now, either way, 84 or 105 in that culture, that's very old. So we're not talking about things that are going to impact, you know, doctrine. But I really think, and I think it adds to the story, 105, okay? This has been a long time, which is one-fourth of the 400 years of silence. So, I mean, she has lived a very long time waiting for the coming of Messiah. Now, one thing you see immediately about Anna and Simeon is that they belong together. No, they are not married, okay? Uh, very likely they knew each other because they were part of a, the faithful remnant. And when you're a remnant, there's not a lot of you and you stick together, okay? So they probably knew each other. But in this passage of Scripture, they belong together. And you learn so much. And I, and I want to pass uh, this on to you. This is Discovery Hour. So in our class especially, biblical learning Bridging the gap between biblical learning and radical living. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper. If I was preaching this upstairs, you wouldn't get what I'm about to show you. But, hey, I'm overflowing with it. When you seek things in God's Word that get you excited, you should share it with others. Amen? And so here's a little bit. And I'm showing you how to do inductive Bible study. So when you see characters like that, you want to compare and contrast them. Because that's exactly what God wants you to do. So let's look at similarities between Simeon and Anna. And I've given you eight of them. And so even though there's differences, we're going to see in a moment, they have these eight similarities. They are both old in age. We're not told how, uh, how old Simeon is, but the whole, in, the whole feel of this passage is these are, these are Old Testament believers who have been waiting for a very, very long time. So they, they represent the long expectation of Old Testament saints, the passing away of the Old Covenant, it's old and it's passing, and the perseverance required to overcome. If we, we can hang on and we can even thrive in spite of our circumstances, because these two people did. Okay, number two, they're devoted to God. It, 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 this similarity recognizes that true faith is an obedient faith. These guys lived in spite of living at a time of darkness, a time of apathy, a time of people falling, of faith falling away. Does it sound familiar to the days that we're living in? And yet they were obedient and devoted to God. Third, they were word-fed. When you see both of these guys, it reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. These two believers knew the Old Testament. You and I need to both know the Old and the New Testament. That's what's going to build your faith. So here at the beginning of 2022, I, I, as I always do, I want to challenge you. Do you have a Bible reading plan? 
What is your strategy for being in God's word to build your faith? Fourth, they are spirit-led. This reminds us that apart from the spirit, we are unable to be ready for Christ's coming. It's not just the word, it's word plus spirit. They, had, they knew the word, but they were walking with the spirit so that every step of the way. Simeon's story begins or has at that very moment. Anna's story has at that very moment. Why were they where God wanted them to be? Because they were spirit led. Fourth or fifth, they had prophetic speaking. We'll talk more about this, but they had prophetic speaking, which tells us uh, they were spirit filled as Old Testament believers. Okay, and that's a result of being word fed, spirit led and devoted to God. This was a blessing under the old covenant because not every believer was indwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit. But God, they are in tune with God's purposes and God's plan. And so they both speak prophetically under the Spirit. And because of that, they both picture what's going to happen in the second part of Luke's. You know, Luke is a two part. So when you read this in Luke, this is at the beginning of Luke. It's tying you to the beginning of Acts where the Spirit will come down on men and women of which these two uh, 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 picture that for us. As a result of that, they were watchful for his coming. Both of them were anticipating and the idea of Advent is watching and waiting. They were doing that. And then they were bold witnesses of the gospel. It reaffirms that good news is meant to be shared. When they saw the Christ child, they didn't keep it to themselves. And if you and I truly know Christ, we shouldn't be keeping it to ourselves. The joy of knowing the Lord should come out of our mouths on a daily basis. And really, spontaneously. All right. And then finally, and I think this is so significant... They believed in an age of unbelief. And this reproves us for letting what others do or don't do become an excuse for our own unbelief and apathy. And I'm telling you, you see this more and more. And, and, and I feel the pressure, and I bet you feel the pressure too. And it's like people aren't getting more excited for the Lord. They're, they're falling away from the Lord. People aren't like uh, getting more verbal for, for the Lord. They're getting more uh, cautious and, and pulling in. And COVID has just added to that. Uh, Gwen and I, we were watching a commercial and it was advertising, trying to call out, you know, have, have your food delivered. This is a year for staying in. I'm like, what in the world? What? No, this is a time for us to get out. And, and engage people and encourage people. These two, because here's what I want you to know. Their joy and devotion did not characterize the temple in which they were at. The temple was characterized by compromise, by immorality, by greed. So they're in this environment. They're shining lights in the darkness, okay? And we live in an increasing darkness, and we should... Look to Simeon and Anna for encouragement to go the different, uh, go the other direction. Now, 
Those are the similarities. But there's differences. You can't help but see the differences. So let's look at these. The first difference is Simeon's greeting is given more space than Anna's welcoming. You immediately see that, right? Look in your Bibles there. Simeon's whole story is 11 verses. Anna's story is three verses. Why? Because the story of the gospel is not so much about us, but about Christ. Simeon is pointing to Christ. Anna shows our response to Christ. And so there's an emphasis in the amount of space. Simeon speaks twice in his story. One, a prophetic blessing that we studied. The other, a prophetic warning. Anna speaks twice, but notice we don't see the content of what she said. Isn't that interesting? So they both are they're equal yet different in what they do. We don't see the content. She begins, according to uh, verse uh, 38, she begins to give thanks to God and then continues speaking of Christ to all those who are looking. The text does not specifically say what she said. We don't have her content. But by comparing her to Simeon and by the fact that she is called a prophetess, more likely she is expressing spirit-filled praise to God and spirit-filled proclaiming the gospel to others. She's witnessing in the spirit, which, by the way, takes us again to the beginning of Acts 1.8. When, uh, when the spirit comes... He will give you power to be my witnesses. So she again is pointing to us and our role as a church. Second difference is Anna's background is given more space than Simeon's. So like in, 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 in the Simeon story, you got 11 verses and you don't know anything about Simeon except that he's righteous. You don't know what tribe he's from. You don't know his background. You don't know his lineage. You really don't know much about him except he received this prophetic promise that he would see the Christ child. But we know more about Anna, but not a lot of explanation of why we're getting this information. So she's a daughter of Phanuel. She's from the tribe of Asher. Okay, so we got to do a little digging to figure out why is that important. And for both of these individuals, this is the only place they're mentioned in the Bible. Third thing that is different, Anna is identified as a prophetess, but Simeon is not. And yet surely we know that Simeon spoke prophecy both times he spoke. So we have the content of Simeon's prophecies, but no designation as a prophet. We have Anna given the title of a prophetess, which is very unique. There's only four Old Testament women who were prophetesses in the Old Testament. Actually, there was five. The fifth one was a false prophetess, so four, okay? And in the New Testament, Anna is the only one who is given this title and function. There's other women that prophesy, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 14, but or 11, and 14, but she is the only one that is given that designation. Um, her continual of give, continual giving of thanks, I think that was prophetic praise. Her speaking of the Christ child was prophetic encouragement to turn and accept Christ. Fourth difference is this, 
Simeon's greater role ends while Anna's seemingly lesser role continues. And I, I, I hesitate to say greater and lesser. I mean greater in terms of space and prominence. Lesser seeming, only three verses. We don't know what she said. But if you'll look at the chart that's in your notes, Simeon has a larger role, but it's one that's going to end in his death. Anna has a seemingly lesser role, but she can, she, we're left with her, for all we know, she's still in the temple, praising God. It's open-ended, okay? He has, uh, Simeon ends with a comfort of a peaceful death. Anna has the joy of proclaiming deliverance. I think Simeon pictures the end of the old covenant. And I think Anna pictures the arrival of the new. Not yet. The Christ baby must grow, be crucified, raise and ascended and give the spirit. That's when the new covenant gets established. But I think they're foreshadowing this. And so with Simeon, you have this big climatic fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. He's here. Let's spend a lot of time talking about that. But then with Anna, you have this climatic future fulfillment of New Testament fulfillment and Luke knows he has a whole gospel in the book of Acts to expand on that does that does that mean I, I, I that is just the coolest thing now here's the fifth thing I want you to see together Simeon and Anna present a picture of Christ-centered complementarity you say what is that again that's about the gender roles it's the gender roles between men and women, particularly in the church. And I wanted to take the time to let you see, because our leadership council, we're studying through it. And here you see it. You see it. Um, the, the other view of egalitarians that teach that women can be uh, uh, pastors and elders in the local church, they go on a passage like this and they get all excited about Anna and say, see, she's a prophetess. And when she went and spoke to everybody, she was preaching publicly to men and women. Well, that's nice speculation, but as we're going to see, that's not the emphasis. And I don't even think that's a actually what she's doing instead when you look at these two individuals and the, take the information i've all i've already given you you see a complementing and a completing of one another where simeon uh takes the initiative and greets the lord and and anna uh responds to that and welcomes the lord you see this beautiful complementary is this story can this story be told without Anna? No. Can this story be told just by Simeon? No. Male and female together, complementing, completing, and yet there's a definite emphasis. It was Simeon who greeted and received the prophecy. It is Anna who responded in welcome. And so that's as far as I can go with that. Now... What are we supposed to take away? You know, what's the message of the passage? That's just kind of the, the spade work. Here's the idea. Anna's welcome models how Christ's bride, the church, welcomes her bridegroom home. Anna models how Christ's bride, the church, welcomes her bridegroom home. 
And I think verse 38, everything is building to verse 38. So look at that in your Bibles again. Here's the whole message, okay? Here's the whole point. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks and continued to speak to, of him to all those who were looking for the redemption. Real, I mean, just a beautiful picture of welcoming the, the king, the baby king, into his temple, which is the household of God. Baby Jesus, welcome home. You know, the Hibbings just did this, some of you others. I remember bringing Amber home. It was a big deal. Welcome home, you know, full of fear and trembling for first, first, first parents. Uh, I was praying the whole way. Now, and actually painting her room to get it finished so she could be intoxicated by paint fumes as a little baby in the, in the room. But, you know, that's what, that's what you do when you're a first-time parent. Now, what's the idea? First of all, I just want you to see, isn't it ironic that a widow who's over 100 years old is modeling the bride of Christ to us? That is just the irony and the beauty of God's story. Listen, you're never too old. You're never too overlooked. You're never, you know, God uses the ordinary to exalt our extraordinary God. I think it's very ironic. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want you to see four characteristics of a welcoming heart of Christ's bride. I want you to look at Anna's heart this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, is this my heart? Are these my passions? Are these my priorities? Do I long to be with God's people when God's son comes a second time? Oh, most of you here know you're going to go to heaven if you died today. Uh, you, you're, you, if you were asked uh, when Christ comes, will he catch you up into his presence? Yes. You know these things in our head. But does your daily life reflect a heart that's ready to welcome him home? Isn't that good? Let's look at that and let's see, see where we stand in relation to that. The first thing I want you to see is Anna lives as a spirit-filled prophetess in the temple. She, just, she lives at church. I know some of you think you live at church. I get that. When I first got saved at 17, my parents were convinced I was living at the church. I was actually living at Jerry's house most of the time, but I was, I was living at the church. And that's how Anna was. It's, that's what it says. And there was a prophetess Anna. She never left the temple. Now, some say, oh, that's a figure of speech. And it could be. And it's just like you say, oh, oh you, it seems like you live at church. You're always there. It could be a figure of speech, but I think she had made arrangements as a widow to actually actually live in the temple. Um, now, and this would have happened after her husband died after seven years of marriage. So the question is, was she, were they barren? You know, where were her children? Okay, and we don't know. Was she barren and they never had children? Or did she, she's a, if she's 105, did she outlive her children? I don't think that's the case. I think more than likely uh, in the light of that for 84 years, she never left the temple after being married, that she, they probably never had kids. Here's the idea. She lived out God's big story in the circumstances that the Lord had brought into her life. 
She lived out God's big story. Remember we taught on God's big story uh, in our institute for 10 weeks? She longed and lived to be in God's presence with God's people in God's place, looking for God's person to come in the power of God's, in, 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 in God's power, and she did it longing for God's purposes. That was what we taught you was God's big story. You look at all of what is said in that. She, she wanted, she lived out God's big story. And yes, she was all alone. Yes, she was a widow. Yes, she missed her husband. Yes, she may have never had children. It didn't matter. She knew the bigger purposes of God. Amen? That's just good stuff. And that's why she lived there. She, that's where her heart was. Anna had a passion for God like the sons of Korah. Uh, if, if you, just write down your notes. We won't take time to read it, but it's so good. Uh, Psalm 84. Write down your notes. Psalm 84. And you read that psalm. Game's not till 7, so you got time this afternoon. Read this psalm and just ask yourself, doesn't this reflect... Anna's heart. Now, here's what I want you to see from this. Two things. Anna's passion for the Lord pictures two things for us. The first thing that Anna's passion pictures is the heart of the faithful remnant under the Old Covenant. This is the heart of the remnant. The nation basically had turned their backs on God. You say, how do you know that? Because when Christ shows up, they reject him and they crucify him. But Anna is the heart. She's like, I could live anywhere. I'm going to live at the temple. I'm gonna, and by the way, tribe of Asher was way up in the north. She had purposely chosen to live in Jerusalem at the temple. Why? Because she knew that's where the Lord would appear. And so it's just amazing. She's watching She's witnessing, she's worshiping, she's waiting. All those things that we've talked about in this series. So she's the heart of the faithful remnant. The second thing I want, she pictures is the hope of the faithful remnant for the new covenant fulfillment under the coming of Christ. Why do I say that? She pictures that hope because she chose to live at the place where he's most likely to show up. Number two, she pictures that hope because she's spirit-filled. And when the new covenant comes, men and women will be equally indwelt and filled with the spirit. So she's got the heart of the old covenant, faithfulness, and she's got the hope of the new covenant. And she's experiencing it very limited. Christ hasn't even grown up yet. You know, he hasn't been crucified. He hasn't risen. The spirit hasn't, the church hasn't been born yet. But Luke knows where the story is going. And guess what? Anna knew where the story was going too because she knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. So she's got hope and she's got heart. Second thing, so here, here's what I want you to hear. So here's the, you say, okay, what's this mean for me? Do you see this woman's passion? Under the old covenant, guess what? We have even more blessings under the new covenant. How much more passionate should you and I be about the things of God? 
She was able under the old. We are more able under the new. Second thing I want you to see. It wasn't all sunshine and chocolates for Anna, okay? Number two, Anna laments as a devoted servant of the faithful remnant. Hey, when your religious institution is corrupt, your leaders are immoral and greedy, it can get discouraging, and it wasn't all happy times. But you know what I like about Anna? She'd lived long enough. And she had had enough disappointments. She could have been a bitter old woman. But instead of getting bitter, she understood that she had been blessed. And more blessings were coming in Christ. All right? And that's just good. That's just good stuff. So what do we have here? She laments. Notice what she does. You know, what do you do at the temple all day, Anna? You know, you live there night and day. Well, verse 37 tells us, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. So here's what I want you to see. When you add fastings to prayer, you're telling me that things aren't the way they should be, and you're fasting to get a hold of God. You're fasting to keep your heart centered on the things of God. And so here's the first point I want you to see. Anna's story is one of satisfaction in the Lord in spite of suffering. She is satisfied in the Lord. Now, think about this. Here's why we get this background. She serves the Lord for seven years as a faithful wife. Seven years, I think, picturing fulfillment, a great marriage. Whether they had kids or not, that's not the issue. The issue is they had their house and they served the Lord as a couple. And then, boom, he dies which was a tragic, I mean, it's a tragic in any time, but you needed a way of support in that culture. So what does she do? She says, well, I'm going to devote the rest of my life. I'm not going to find another husband to support me. That wouldn't have been wrong, I don't think. But instead, in fact, the Bible encourages young widows to remarry. But she says, no, the Lord's been too good to me. I'm going to devote the rest of my life to being faithful to him in his house Like I've been faithful to my husband in our house. That's just cool. So how did she serve? It says serving serving in the temple night and day. Well, back to the debate about gender roles. Egalitarians say, well, I'll tell you how she was serving. She was teaching men and women publicly at the temple. She was a leader of men and women in the temple, and she was a woman of influence and power. She was a prophetess. This we know. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say any of that. Look in your Bibles. What does the Bible tell us how she served? How does she serve according to verse 37? Fasting and prayer. You got it, Jody. You know, isn't it amazing? I don't see a lot of men uh, or women uh, championing being prayer warriors. You know, this whole debate, oh, I want to be up front. I want to I lead. I want to. No, here's what she did. Prayed and fasting. You know, 
you know, if you if you ask people, you know, hey, let, uh, would you like to get on the platform and do something big? Well, yeah, yeah, I would. Okay. Well, uh, before we're going to do that, we're going to learn how to pray and fast. Well, you know, maybe another time. You, you, you know, I come back. I mean, that's just how we are. But this is how she served. So let's look at the second point. Anna's story is one of serving the Lord through supplication. She, whatever else she did in that temple, and the text doesn't tell us what else, what the text tells us is fasting and prayer. So let me give you three things, observations of that. First of all, she watched and prayed. I taught a whole lesson in this series on Simeon watching. And if you remember in that series, Jesus taught his disciples, watch and pray. Guess what? Anna is doing what you and I should be doing. She's watching and praying. On top of that, uh, write in your notes, Psalm 5, or I guess I have Psalm 5 in there. Um, Okay, we're going to turn there. Turn to Psalm 5. You know why it's relevant to look at some of these psalms? Because Old Testament believers, when they prayed, guess what they prayed? They prayed the psalms. And I don't know if Anna prayed this psalm, but you look at Psalm 5 in your Bible, and you tell me if this doesn't sound like Anna. I mean, this is amazing. Okay, so look at this. Psalm 5. It's a prayer for protection from the wicked. And she was surrounded by that. Notice what it says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Anna spent night and day lamenting and groaning before the Lord. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. This is what Anna was doing. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in you. Oh, I I may be dwelling in a wicked, compromised time, but there's there's no evil in you. And you can enable me to live that way as well. You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in you. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. She saw a whole lot of people, hypocrites, come and worship before the Lord, boasting before him, and they had no boast. Did that mean I'm going to give up on Yahweh worship? Does that mean... I'm going to abandon God's people because they're hypocrites. Well, you know the old joke, one more won't mind. Come on, you know, come on in. But the reality is you don't have to live, and I don't have to live as a hypocrite. The Lord enables us. Notice, you destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. The leaders of of Israel became men of bloodshed and deceit. But look at verse 7. But as for me... By your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. That's Anna. Oh, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward parts is destruction itself. Their throat, an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. These were the religious leaders of the time. 
Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices. Let them fall in the multitude of their transgressions. Thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But look at verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man and woman. O Lord, you surround him with favor as with a shield. This is what Anna's praying. And she's not only praying it for herself, she's praying for the nation of Israel. In fact, Anna is a widow indeed, according to the Apostle Paul. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.5. 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone, I think she did not have children, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. So even in the New Testament, Anna is identified as a godly widow who devotes herself to prayer. And here's what she's praying. She's lamenting our nation. Listen, she's lived a hundred years. For 400 years, Israel's been under four Gentile empires that has persecuted them. For 400 years, they haven't hear, heard the Spirit speak through a prophet. She is lamenting. And she looks around and she doesn't see a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. So she laments, but she also longs. She longs for the Lord she loves. And she longs for her people to repent and be prepared for his coming. So here's the thing about Anna. She kept fasting for what she longed for, redemption of Jerusalem. She kept asking for what she looked for, the revelation of the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He answered her prayers. Woo! Man, that's just exciting. Here's the third thing. The answer to those prayers, Anna welcomes the child king to his temple. Welcome home, baby Jesus. She welcomes the child king. Now, notice in your text, look at verse 38. At that very moment, at that very moment. Now, here's where it's fun when you study the Bible. What moment is that? Verse 38. At that very moment. Well, there's really only two options. Either she was present for the entire Simeon moment, or it was the specific moment where Simeon gives the prophecy to Mary and says... This child is going to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel to the end that hearts will be revealed. Now, I'm not going to reteach last week's lesson, but I want you to see Anna comes at that very moment and she fulfills that prediction because at that very moment, what happens? Her heart's revealed. She, she hears the prophecy, she sees the baby, and what comes out of her heart? It's a welcoming heart. It's a believing heart. Isn't that cool? So you got this prophecy 
that Christ is going to reveal what's in people's hearts. And at that very moment, up comes a woman. And what's in there comes out by the grace of God. Jesus does that every time. As we listen to this message, what's in our heart starts coming out. So I think that's what's happening. I think, and we're going to see how she fulfills this. So let's, let's, the last point. Let's jump here to the last point and see this. Anna pictures the new covenant bride of Christ. Anna pictures the new covenant bride. Because when her heart's revealed, she does two things. She gives thanks to God, and she starts telling people about Jesus. She gives thanks to God. And what is the church? What should we be doing as a church, folks? Jesus has come, and he's coming again. Why did he leave us here? He left us here to do two things. To give praise to God in the midst of a dark and dying world, and to tell all those who are looking that Christ has come and who he is. But not only that, listen, we are to tell. Anna told those who were looking, because those are the people in the temple. But you and I, we're supposed to tell people who aren't looking. When I was 17 years old, I was searching, but I didn't know what I was looking for. And somebody from this church took the time and had the burden and had the boldness and the love to share Christ with me. And when I heard that, and when I was invited to this church, and I heard the preaching of God's word, I'd been in church for 17 years, but didn't hear the preaching of the gospel. You can go to church and not know God. And you can go to a church where they don't preach the gospel. And when I came here, what was in my heart was revealed. Oh, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm 17 and I'm clueless. I need Jesus. And what I saw was a community of faith. Imperfect. I was imperfect. So I'm glad everybody here was imperfect. But what I saw was a community that was praising God and telling the greatness of the gospel. So here's what you want to see from this. Notice that um, I want you to see. Oh, let me throw this out and then I got to wrap you up. Listen, Anna's name means grace. And all this happened because of the grace of God. Anna was from the tribe of Asher. You know what Asher means? Blessed. Anna was blessed. She was the daughter of Phanuel. You know what Phanuel means? It has connections. Back in the Old Testament, it means the face of God. So you tie all this together. Now, whether all that, I don't, you know, I don't know how God providentially brought that. But you got a woman who, by the grace of God, is blessed with seeing the face of God in the incarnation. Wow. Okay, so here's what I want to give you. The church welcomes the bridegroom home with hearts full of thanksgiving. I find it interesting that both Simeon and Anna, when they saw Christ, which direction did they go? Vertical or horizontal? Which direction did they go? They went, did you say both? Yeah. They went vertical first. When they each saw Christ, the first thing, that's why you know their heart was right. 
The first thing they did was they thanked God. And the first thing, the first thing that Anna does is give thanks to God. The second thing both of them did was to tell other people. Simeon only talking to Mary. Anna, in the greater picture, is talking to everyone about Jesus. We can go into that more, but that's, I think that's fascinating. So give thanks to God. The second thing, the church welcomes the bridegroom home with hearts eager to share. You know, Simeon makes us think of the tribe of Simeon, which didn't do well in the Old Testament. And their story ends with them scattered and not really have, having a possession. They're down in the south. The tribe of Asher didn't do well either. And they never fully possessed their land. And they were part of the compromised ten tribes in the north. The Lord is telling us that he is not only going to fulfill his promises to the church. But one day, north and south, the scattered tribes of Israel will come and be regathered at the second coming of the Lord. They will repent and they will put their faith like Simeon. Simeon Anna is like, do it now, do it now, do it now. And God's saying, no, my purposes are different. The majority of Jews will be hardened. But one day the Simeon and the Ashers and the 12 tribes are going to come together because God brings his people together. I have in your notes, I, I ran across this hymn by Isaac Watts. The king of glory sends his son. And the first stanza is about the shepherds, the lowly shepherds. The second stanza is about the mighty magi who, who see Christ. And then you come to this third stanza. Simeon and Anna both conspire the infant savior to proclaim. Inward they felt the sacred fire and blessed the babe and owned his name. And then the hymn ends with this. Let Jews and Greek blaspheme aloud and treat the holy child with scorn. Our souls adore the eternal God who condescended to be born. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Here's the, the old giving way and yet the joy of the new. And Mary and Joseph are like, what in the world is going on? All right. And maybe you're wondering, what in the world's going on in my life? What in the world is going on with Christianity in our country? What in the world is going on? This is what's going on. God is fulfilling his purposes. And the joy of that, the joy of that, give thanks to God, even in the hardest of circumstances, and point people to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the last book of the Revelation ends with these words? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So let's end with our Advent greeting. He has come. He is coming again. That's good. Let's do it again. He has come. He is coming again. And let's welcome him. Amen with thankful praise and bold proclamation. Let's pray. Father, your word is a gold mine if we will but read 
study and meditate. Lord, may we go into 2022 studying your word, reading your word, worshiping you. I pray for each person here and may their hearts be encouraged by the spirit that indwells them. We have more blessings than Anna and Simeon. To whom much is given, much is required. But Lord, much power and enablement we have. We can do this in your power. So may it be. May it be in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.